So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good folks. I'm so incredibly glad you decided to join us today. Today, we're just continuing our study in the book of Genesis. You know, we've been doing this for a few weeks now, um, and it's getting good. It's gotten really interesting. You know, last time we talked about uh, Noah and his voyage on the ark and God's wonderful redemptive plan to save mankind in spite of mankind's self and how he can use a vessel that is flawed. And today, we're just going to see just how flawed that vessel can be. Um, you know, they've, they've debarked the ship. They've begun to reestablish life for themselves. And here we find Noah falling out with his sons. And, you know, it's gets a little disheartening, but let's, let's just go ahead and do a little. We are coming to the end of the first third of the book of Genesis. And so we have talked about mankind at large and how the earth has come to be as we know it. Between this podcast and the next Genesis podcast, we will complete the mankind at large. We'll come to understand um, Noah and him falling out with his sons. We'll come to understand um, how the different nations came about and some of the nations that are very familiar to us today. And then we'll come to see, and then we'll pop into the next portion of the Bible as we begin to deal with Abraham and it starts to deal with Israel at large. Um, Y'all, if, in case you didn't know, the book of Genesis is a book of record and it's also a book of prophecy and we watch itself prophesy to itself. And if you're tuning into the revelation study, you're really seeing how, how much these, these things are paralleling to themselves. And, and it's absolutely amazing to me how thoughtful God was when he got 40 authors over thousands of years to write 66 books and how they bounce off of one another and how Moses could have written, um, Genesis and, and Revelation was penned by John, but yet they interweave into one another. And it, it's absolutely amazing to me. And these, these guys are separated by thousands of years, but yet uh, they're together by the, by the marker. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But we're going to go ahead and get in the Word. We find ourselves today uh, beginning, beginning in, in the book of Genesis uh, chapter 9. We're going to start reading at verse 20. And I mean, the story kind of gets interesting today. And, and if and there are parts of it that if you don't do your digging, they'll become a little confusing to you. Okay. And so verse 20 says, and Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. He, then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem, J and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke for with, uh, from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then we'll, we'll continue to go a little bit um, um, up further. So one thing I want to go ahead and pull out is that the flood destroyed sinful men. Uh, he destroyed all his men except for Noah and his boys and his wife and his, his, um, son's wives. Um, but even though he destroyed, he, all of these things came to be, and he, he destroyed all of these sinful men that were upon the earth. It did not destroy sin. Okay. Um, that is one of the things that we can parallel to Christ and it doesn't really par parallel because Christ, he didn't get rid of sin, but he covered sin. The flood got rid of sinful men, but it did not get from get away or deal with their sinful ways or their sinful nature. As you remember, the very first thing that Noah did when he debarked the boat was to build an altar because sin was yet in his heart. He, he yet had to sacrifice to God and give glory to God and acknowledge that God had found favor in him for, through no, no, no good of his own. 
So when we look at this, we need to keep in our minds that, yes, the flood has just transpired. Yes, they have just debarked the boat. Yes, these were the, the chosen that God allowed to come from the what we will call the old world to the new world. But no, this did not do away with sinful nature and sinful intentions, nor did it do away from, like he said uh, in the last chapter, that he can't contend with men because their ways from birth are sinful. And so it doesn't, it didn't do away with that idea or that ideology. Matter of fact, today I was watching this video of this little kid at the barbershop who was, he was going nuts. He was hitting his mom. He was screaming. He was acting a fool. And you got all these grown men trying to assert their, their um, authority at him without hitting him um, because it's not hit their son. And he just has no, no respect for authority at all. And, and that's one of those things that we can see as we think of babies as, as innocent and, and to some avail they are. But as he says in the, in the prior chapter, you know, the intentions of men are, are wicked from their birth. And, you know, that's something that we don't think of. It's also almost kind of like the antithesis of what we think. We think of these babies, they come in the world perfect. But if you ever watch a baby, like babies, <laughs> they know what they're doing. You tell them no, and then they look at you like, mm, can I get away with this? And if they if they surmise that they can get away with this, they continue doing what they're doing. And if they think they can't, they'll stop. But it's like the intentions are kind of are, are, are perverse, um, which, I mean, we don't think about it. We look at these adorable babies, and we're like, oh, they're just so sweet. Oh, it's such a pretty baby. Look at the baby. And and <laughs> we don't think about the perverse nature um, that we have, which is it's, it's scary to some of you. Well, verse 20 uh, doesn't offend us as much as the text insinuates that it should, okay? Uh, verse 20, I'll read it again. And Noah began, began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Um, then he drank the wine of and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Actually, verse 21, the, the text actually insinuates that we should be as be, be incredibly uh, offended. And and it, and part of it is like, should I be offended at Noah or should I be offended at Ham? Should I be offended at both of them? And I think part of that is, is flawed because we live, most of us live in America. And in America, you know, we see nakedness on TV all the time. Now, granted, the amount of nakedness we see now on TV and the t amount of nakedness we saw when I was a kid is not the same amount, but we have become desensitized to what is acceptable and what's not what's not acceptable. Matters of matter of fact, I was just at the pool, and it's you know in the locker room, it's naked people everywhere, and so we just I guess we've become accustomed to seeing such. Now, if we go back to dealing with Adam and Eve, you know when they were walking around naked, it wasn't a problem, and then they saw, um, then they ate of the tree, and then they became ashamed. And it's almost like a role reversal. It's like we should be embarrassed, but we're not embarrassed because we've become desensitized to being embarrassed unless we're in the wrong place. And then we're embarrassed. It's it's like a, a tangled web that is woven. And I think it speaks to the state of our hearts and how we read this text and how unoffended we are. Um, and I don't know how to fix that. I, I wish I had an answer. I'm like, whoa, we just got to do this. I don't know how to fix that. But the text insinuates that we should be actually um, offended. Now, regardless of what we're going to find in the next few verses and in our, in our intensive study of these few verses is that there was an issue of a lack of respect on the part of Ham. Okay. And verse 22 says, and Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and then they went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And so Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Okay, so which insinuates that there was something foul that happened. Uh, something about this should be offending us. There's some issue that we should be taking in this, in this passage of Scripture. Even if we're not entirely sure what it is. Now, there are a lot of different schools of thought, and I'm, I lean toward one or, or the other. There are some that I don't agree with, but there are great scholars on each side of these arguments. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you what they think that issue was, and I want you to be like the church in Acts, and I want you to search the scripture down and come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit will give you, okay? But I want you to search the scripture down, and, and I want you to read this for yourself. Don't take my word for it, because I'm not going to give you my word. I'm going to tell you what the different scholars believe, and I want you to, you to be able to surmise that for yourself. So some scholars believe that the word uncovered wasn't passive as we're reading it in, in the context, but possibly it was an active voice according to the Hebrew. So the way that the 
the Hebrew was written would insinuate that something was, when he was uncovered, it wasn't that he was naked, uh, but it was that Ham possibly took the clothes off of him in his drunkenness. Okay, and they believe that that led to the possibility of a homosexual act or a rape act that could have taken place. Um, now, because and 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 they and they believe that because in verse twenty four, Noah awoke from the wine and he knew what his younger son had done to him, as if something had taken place, something physical. I don't know how much I subscribe to that that school of thought, but I'm gonna another school of thought says that they subscribe to the idea that on Noah's behalf, um, that that the fall was on Noah's behalf, and that he was angry at his son that exposed his weakness. You know, and what they 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 pull from is that pride goes before the destruction and the heart is spirit before the fall, or possibly even more colloquial that the bigger they come, the harder they fall, and so that possibly Noah had walked with God for six hundred years, but in his walking with God from six hundred years after he gets the boat. He gets over here, he gets drunk, and he starts to um, succumb to these desires and these wants. Um, and he, he gets naked and he just gets upset that his son has exposed his issue. Okay. Uh, another school of salt says that while Shem and Japheth re uh, refused to go inside, Ham had no reservations about entering the tent. Whatever the failing of Noah, he was inside his own tent in his own privacy. Okay. And so the belief is that, that Shem and, and Japheth uh respected that his father was in his own home dealing with his own issue and ham entered in and violated the pri whole principle of privacy uh yet not to assist his father but to be amused at his expense which takes us back to this issue of respect and this issue of honoring his father ham did nothing to preserve the dignity of his daddy uh he did nothing to see that um noah was properly covered instead he went outside to his brothers and graphically described the folly had which had overtaken his daddy so he 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 seems to, it seems um, that it's possible that Ham also may have encouraged him and Japheth to go in and laugh at his father for himself. Now, whatever school of thought that you take um, or whichever one you, you, you hold close or you begin to believe, I think the chief issue here is that there was a lack of respect for his father, whether it was the fa his father's falling or his failing or whatever it would be, that there was a lack of respect on the part of him. And and I think that it's important in order for us to, to understand that, in order to understand what comes after this, okay? Now, before we get there, what kind of is a little eerie to me is that for 600 years, Noah walked with God, okay? I know I talked about that a lot last time. He walked with God. God established salvation slash redemption and preserved the messianic line through grace, of course, and it wasn't any, any action of his own, but he preserved that line through Noah after the incredible event of the flood, and he is the only family that is, uh, that is preserved through this flood, and he lives for 300 years after this event. That is the last thing that we hear from Noah, and that's a little disappointing to me, so because you're like, you're used like nobody's business, like God allows wondrous things to come from you, and is it possible that you fall that far from grace? Like what, what caused you to fall that far from grace? Because nothing in scripture suggests that Noah was perfect in his own strength. He was perfect through grace and through faith, but he was not perfect in his own strength. So what, what separated him that far? Now that's one of those things. That's one of the mysteries that you've just got to pray for insight and God may give it to us. He may not give it to us. We can speculate all day. I'm not necessarily sure how healthy it is or what it can do for our own edification. But what I do think is that we can look to Ham and we can look to Japheth and look at the Shem and we can look at this issue of respect. Uh, we can look into this issue of respect with our parents and with those who are above us. Um, and what it points to is even when we are uh, surrounded by leaders and people who are above us, who have authority over us, who have eldership over us, they are fallible. And in their fallibility, it is not our jo job to expose their fallibility, but to cover their fallibility. Okay. Now, I know that we, some of us get so caught up in, in being holier than thou and being uber righteous that we want to go and expose this, that, and the other. But if we remember, Scripture teaches us that first you pull them aside and see if you can get them, get them correct. Then don't, go, go, don't go tell the whole world. And then if they don't listen, then you go tell the whole, you, you don't go tell the whole world, but you make a public rebuke. Well, we don't see, you know, and this is just, this is just me speculating some, 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 some biblical truth. We don't see that happen. 
And so whether whatever the sin or whatever the issue, whether it was completely on Hammer, whether it was completely on Noah, whatever the issue, it causes a whole lot of contention between their family. And then that contention gets ready to build us and prepare us for uh, what is going to happen in chapters 10 and 11. Now, in verse 24, Noah awoke from, from his wine and knew that his younger son, what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, cursed be Caden, Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be his brother. Now, remember, Ham's son, he was the father, Ham was the father of Canaan. And so he's upset at Ham, but he curses Canaan, his son. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, may Canaan be his servant, and may God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem, uh, and may Canaan be his servant. Now, um, we can we can pull a lot of a lot of things from such, but we see nine twenty four there now nine twenty four could be his reaction, and it, it makes perfect sense that it would be Noah's reaction to what had just happened between him and Ham, but it also could just be prophecy, a cur or a curse. Um, and, and that's one of those things that we're not entirely sure of and we haven't dealt with. But what we what we do know is that the Canaanites are under sub- subjugation. Uh, the prophecy slash curse is fulfilled. We see it in Judges 128. We see it in 1 Kings 921 and Joshua 927. Uh, we, we see that and then we're going to see that as we look at the table of nations um, in, in when we get to chapter 10. Um, and so whether it was the curse was on Ham and he was angry with Canaan or he was angry with Ham and so he cursed Canaan or whether this is just a prophecy that just happened to fall in line with him being embarrassed and the fact that Ham was the uh, father of Canaan, that it just looked like this in scripture, these things did come to pass. Um, and I believe they're still coming to pass. And so it's just something that we can look at now in nine twenty six. um, in 926, Shem is identified through the channel through which God will be glorified. Now, the messianic line comes directly from Shem, and that's prof- that, that I mean, that's fulfilled as well. Um, and so, you know, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, that Canaan will be his servant, and, and that happens. Um, but 927 is interesting. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Now, what's interesting to me about that is, is that Japheth means to be enlarged anyway. So it's a pun of sorts. Like they use the same word over and over again. Well, but, but it happens. It is, um, it's satisfied now. And then when we look at 28 and nine, it says, and Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. And my response to that is I, what I'm like, is that it? Like I said, he lives, he walked 600 years with the Lord. He was on the boat for a little over a year. And, and then you, you find, we find him drunk. He has a falling out with his son. He curses one of his sons. He blesses two of his sons. And that's all we hear from Noah. This man walked with God. His grandfather was taken. He was raptured. He didn't even have to face death. Your, his, uh, I mean, yeah, we are his great grandfather, his grandfather, Methuselah, his name like was a prophecy and Noah gets to, to be the, be the line through which the messianic line is preserved. And he lives 300 more years and we don't hear a word from him. That's concerning. And maybe it's just nothing, nothing of great interest happened, but I mean, it's just one of those things that makes, it's really interesting to me. Um, but, but then I want to, I want to look at this and we're about to get into, uh, we're going to get to chapter 10 in just a second here, but we're about to get into what we call the table of nations and we're going to deal with genealogies. Um, now there's a lot of controversy around whether the genealogies are tight or they're loose. And if they are loose, we can't really draw dates or anything from them, but if they're tight, we can draw a couple of ideas and the ideas that we can begin to, to draw is that Noah, if they're tight, would have lived until Abraham Abraham was 58 years old. And Shem would have lived until after uh, Abraham's father died, which means that these, these people could have had dialogue. He could have talked about the flood. They could have shared these, it, these, I, these things with them. But that's if they're tight genealogies. And that's just one of those, those like crazy semantical things that I want to throw out there for those of you who are interested in the genealogies and the timeline and trying to figure out whether we have a young earth or old earth or anything like that. But that, I mean, that's, that's not really, that's, that's not as relevant as it could have been. 
Now, real quick, I just want to draw seven parallels that parallel Noah to Adam. Uh, the first thing is that Adam was on the earth after the earth emerged from the waters, remember? Um, and so was Noah. Noah came after the, after the flood. Uh, Adam comes after he has separated the water from the land and there's a firmament and all that good stuff. Two was that Adam was given all things. He was given dominion. He says the same thing to Noah. He says to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. He says the exact same words to Noah when they get off the boat. Uh, Adam was placed in the garden to dress it and keep it. Noah became a gardener. Both of them kind of blew it. Uh, didn't kind of both of them blew it, but they both <laughs> became gardeners, and they were t- their job was to dress and keep the keep the uh, the gardens that they were placed in. Um, uh, the fifth one, sin sin exposed both of them to nakedness. Um, one was from eating of a tree, the other was from eating from some fruit. Ooh, wow! How how one one was a vine, and one of them was was from a tree. But both of them, their nakedness was what exposed them to sin. What, they, the sin exposed them both to nakedness. Um, six, they both covered by another. Adam was covered by leaves. Um, God had to go create them some clothes and Noah by his sons. Just kind of cool. And Adam had three sons that mentions the messianic line. Um, and it comes from the third son that the messianic line, Seth, that it was preserved. Noah had three sons and the messianic line comes from the third one that, that was mentioned. Now these are all just like some really cool things. Like I wouldn't build doctrine on these. They're just some really cool facts that we can draw parallels to and draw them from. I think it's important that when we look at scripture that we, we pay attention to the, the, um, the patterns because those patterns begin to create just all types of things that are, are relevant to how we will follow and, and what we can learn about the word. And it is the, it's in the details that we begin to draw a, a parallels of Genesis to Revelation, to Exodus, to Levi- Leviticus, all the way to Matthew, um, and to Jude. We, it is, it's in the details that we can see the beauty of how much detail God had put into this thing. And it wasn't that the Bible was haphazard. Uh, this thing was not like on the fly. It was, it was very important. And he took his time with it. You know, over thousands of years, he, he chose the right people and comprised all the right things to show people grace and to show them favor, to teach them faith in him, to talk people how to trust him. And I think it is, it is absolutely important that when we read this Bible, that we don't just read it, but we study it and we look at the parallels that are given to us uh, because God, he didn't, he didn't mince word. He didn't, he didn't mince ideas. He gave us everything that we needed. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. Now, when we move on, we're moving on to um, chapter 10. And this is what we can call the table of nations. Now, if you have ever been curious how we became different nations and all of that good stuff, in chapter 10, we're going to talk about the table of nations. And in chapter 11, we'll talk about how the languages got scattered. Now, one of the most amazing things to me when we start doing word studies and you start doing genealogy studies is you can almost trace about just about every single people group back to this chapter. Now, I understand that if we were, if this was a part of your, your Sunday, your regular uh, devotional time, this is one of the chapters that I would probably skip. Um, probably for years, if I came across this, I probably skipped it because it's just a whole bunch of names and the names seem irrelevant. But here's the cool thing about the re- God didn't put these things in the Bible on accident. Like all of this was put here intentionally. And when he put it here intentionally, he, t- he put it here for the edification of the saints and for us to learn and to understand. And so like I told you, Genesis is a book of prophecy and a book of record. Okay. So this chapter, and, and I promise that you've probably never looked at it like this, unless like you're at seminary and you're way smarter than me. Um, but when we look at this, we can really see the world coming into being over the past 10 chapters. We have seen the world being shaped as we have, uh, as we know it. And we're just going to take another step deeper and we're going to, we're going to go a little bit further. And we're just going to come to understand how this world that we know it uh, came to be. I'm not going to go through all 70 families. I'm going to pull some hot spots out. Um, and I'm going to, we're going to talk about some word studies and, and how we know that this family begot this country and all of this stuff. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time here. Now, I'm going to show you how you can make these genealogies interesting. Now, you've got to really be into wanting to study the words and the roots. But if you're willing to do such, You'll come to understand that this Bible was not put together by accident, okay? Now, I'm just going to let you know that there are 70 families listed here in chapter 10, okay? Um, the 70, it's a, but that's also the same number of, of family, families that entered into Canaan 
after the exodus. Now that's absolutely like that's that's one of those things that's like a, a mind blowing thing. Now, and but if you don't read these and you don't really do the the uh, the due diligence, you'll never find that. But it's it's actually really interesting that there are seventy families listed here, the same number of families that entered into Canaan after the exodus. Okay. Now, uh, in verse verse one, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons were born to them after the flood. And then we begin to get into these these lines and these names. Um, now, there's a different order of the sons. You remember, the, the other prior order um, had, had Shem last. Shem is first. So this time, it's this, this is the order of importance. Remember, Shem is where the Messianic line is going to come from. Um, but here in, in verse 1, he's got them listed in a different order. Um, and, and it's, it's really interesting, but we're just going to, we're going to roll through this. I'm not going to list off everybody. I'm going to hit some hot spots and then we're going to move on to chapter 11. So from Japheth, we see the tribes that form is, you see Gomer, Gomer, uh, uh, Gomer is the forebearer of the Sumerians. Um, a lot of people refer to that as Europe. Okay. Ashkenaz, Ashkenaz, uh, that's where the Germans come from. We do a word study and we do a genealogy search that, that the, the beginning of the Germans came from Ashkenaz. Now, Riffith, Riffith, uh, it's possible that that word is the word that the, um, Europe, Europe came from. So when we get that European term that we believe that that came from there, now Togamar, Togamar, um, is, no, I'm sorry, Togarma, um, Armenia, that we believe that that has Ar- Armenian roots. Now, the only thing about that is to suggest that it's possibly uh, that Tagarma is not just the Armenians. Now, what's interesting is the Ar- Armenians still refer to themselves as the house, house of Tagarma. Uh, but we don't know if it's just Ar- the Armenians or that there are others as well. But we know that the Armenians came from the house of Tagarma. They still refer to themselves as that today. Uh, when we look at Havan, Havan is where the Greeks come from. You know, the Greeks that everybody talks about. You, you, I don't think you can talk about any type of history. You can talk about biblical history. You can talk about Egyptian history. You can talk about Greek history. You can talk about Roman history. Everybody wants to talk about the Greeks. The Greeks did make a lot of great um, advancements. Now, here's what's interesting. From Havan, you see Elisha. Now, this is not the Elisha that we talk about the prophet. This is like a, a different Elisha. And we see the Hellenic line come from him. Uh, t- from Tarshish. It's a little complex, and it's always a far, a long way away. We see it mentioned in Psalm 21:10, and a lot of scholars think that it is is possibly an island in the Mediterranean. Uh, we know it's only accessible to water. If you remember when we were talking about Jonah and the whale, Jonah was supposed to be going to Noah, but he hopped on a boat to Tarshish. Um, we also see that Solomon had a great um, a great system of boats, and they were headed to Tarshish as well. So wherever Tarshish is located. Uh, we know that it's a great source of tin because a lot of people, that's what they talk about when they were going to Tarshish. Um, and so some people believe it's in the Mediterranean. Other people believe it's the British Isles. Um, regardless, we we know that Tarshish is a long way away and that it's only accessible by water. Uh, Magog was north of the Black Sea. Um, it's also believed to be a forebear of the Russians. No, so, so was Meshik and Tubal, okay? So Meshik, uh, Magog, and Tubal, all the Russians, the Soviet Union, that entire area, was it came from those descendants. Now, um, the Magi is where the Medes and the Persians came from, and, and we can trace those words back, trace those roots back. Uh, Tyrus is where the early Italians came from. The beginnings of Italy came from the seed of Tyrus. Now, when we start talking about him, we find Cush, now, Cush is translated in some Bibles as Ethiopia, and well, we know exactly where that is. Um, Cush is translated Ethiopia, um, two tribes, the, Ethi- the Ethiopia in the south uh, and the Cassettes in the east of the Assyrians. Um, Seba is, what, is Sudan, Sheba, Dedan, and Havala is Arabia, okay? Now, we can talk about Dedan, uh, you, you see reference to it in Isaiah 31, 13. Um, Mizraim, Mizraim is an interesting one. It is actually translated Egypt, which has a plural ending. And it actually is a reference to upper Egypt and lower Egypt because they began as two different countries, uh, which is really interesting to me. Put, when we see put, we know that that's, uh, Libya. 
Now, uh, chapter 10, I mean, ver yeah, we're in 10, verse 8 makes mention to Nimrod. When we get to the Tower of Babel, I'm going to come and talk about Nimrod a little bit more because he holds a little bit more importance than I think that we've probably given him in the past. Now, 1013, I don't know a whole lot about it, but what we do know about it is that they all have plural names, and so their, their families, uh, we know that they're families. Now, we also can pull that the Philistines, as the Bible deals with a lot, have an Egyptian background. Now, we know that we have, <laughs> the Israelites have a lot of issues with the, the Philistines and with the Egyptians, and so it's just really interesting that the, the Philistines come out of the house of Egypt. Um we know that when they talk about Sidon, um, we see them listed here, uh, that the Phoenicians came from them, from Heth, which is the father of the Hittites, as mentioned in Genesis 23, 10. Uh, Sinite, uh, they go far east. And we know that there is a lot of things we can do grammatically and with the, those words and word studies. Uh, but actually, what's interesting is that's where the Chinese come from. They come from the Sinite. Now, when we start dealing with Shem, Eram, the, uh, the Arameans come from them, and we know that most of the, the Bible, and a good deal of it, is it dealt with in the Aramaic, um, the Aramaic form of Jew, Jew uh, Judaism. Um, so it's really interesting that Eram, that, that all comes from his seed. Uh, and then we can mention us, and only only reason I'm going to mention us is because we know that's from the homeland of Job. Uh, Eber is where the word Hebrew actually derives uh, Peleg, uh, it means division, and the earth was, divi was divided. Now, well, <laughs> when we start dealing with Peleg, it means division, uh, and the earth was divided. Um, wow. Um, Pangea maybe was split during con with uh, continental drift or the prophecy at the Tower of, of Babel. Uh, we'll deal with that a little bit. Now, when we start thinking about this, the question that we can allow to arise is in Peleg, um, the question is, in verse 25, Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for his days on the earth was divided. And his son's name, his brother's name was Joktan. So one thing that we can deal with in that, that portion of Scripture is, when we talk about it, is this a prophecy to what is going to happen in chapter 11 when we start talking about the Tower of Babel and God disguising and scattering the languages, or is this continental drift? Um, if you're not familiar with continental drift, there's um, a lot of a lot of research and a lot of scientific evidence that says in the beginning of the world that there was one continent and they call it Pangaea because all of the continents fit together like a puzzle, like puzzle pieces. And because it is believed that all of the continents fit together like puzzle pieces, um, it just causes us to ask this question when he said in the days of Peleg, the world was divided. Are we talking about those all of these families being separated and not being cool anymore, or are we talking about um, continental drift happening? And that's just, you know, that's just room for me to go crazy and, and possibly do research. But it's, it's a question worth asking and being curious about because the word is, it is, it is, it is rather complex, and it just, it doesn't cease to amaze me how wonderful God and how well orchestrated he calls his word to be. Okay. Now, we're moving right along. We've gotten through the table of nations. We've pulled out a lot of different countries and a lot of different things. And, and I'm sure there are other countries that I'm just unaware of and that I did not come to conclude in my study time. But I think it is really awesome that what we did conclude is that all of these, all of these places came together in, in, a, in, a, in a manner that is just kind of mind-boggling to me. Now, in, in chapter 11, we, we talk about the Tower of Babel. Now, I'm familiar with this. I was familiar with the story before I did an extensive study of it. But there are some things about this story that will probably shake your view on the Christmas, on the, on some of the things like the Zodiac and just all around. Just just wild to me now. Verse chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Okay. 
one language now when they said that if the whole earth, the whole earth had one language and one speech many many scholars believe that that one language is hebrew they believe that one language is hebrew a because they you know they become they, they're the chosen people but two because um a lot of the, the ancient records and a lot of the things that we see on record all are consistent in Hebrew understanding. Now, as they began to evolve as their own languages, their conjugations changed, but ancient findings would point to it being a Hebrew language. Now, because I haven't studied ancient artifacts of that such, I can't speak with like definitives of heart and say, I believe that Hebrew was the language. It would make sense to me that Hebrew would be the language. Again, I would invite you to be like the church in, in, um, in Acts. Receive the word with readiness of heart, but do your own research, okay? Um, he's chapter three, he's I mean, verse three, he says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar, okay? Uh, and it makes perfect sense that they would say that 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 lines up completely. It said they made bricks, and actually, there was a shortage, shortage of brick in that in that region. There's still a shortage of bricks in that region. And the way that they make the bricks, they break, they baked them. It's not they didn't even make them like they made them in Egypt. When they made them in Egypt, you know, they just let the sun dry them. No, they actually baked these things through and through. Um, and the slime as as was as as asphalt as we know it, the same way they do it for mortar. Um, and it's actually as a as a construction version that's actually pretty cool to me. Um, that they they the way that they do it then they did it thousands thousands of years ago is quite similar to the way that they do it over there now um in chapter i mean verse four they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth but the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the lord said indeed the people are one and they have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the, over the face of the earth and all the earth, and they ceased from building the city. So, you know, God comes down and he sees that these people are united and they're going to do something. Now, I, I want to I present this to you. Their building of this city was not a monument to God or trying to reach God. It was in defiance of God. Um, but one thing that we can pull from this, and I'm, people have been pulling from this for, for years and years and years, when we get on one accord, there is like, as he says, there is nothing that can be withheld from us. And so these people were on one accord. They were speaking with readiness of mind, and they were using all of these biblical tactics, all of these spiritual tactics, being on one accord. And, you know, the law of unity, when you're together, like, like there is nothing that can be withheld from you but they were they were united in a manner that was anti what God had ordained they were like not doing what God had done um and why do we know this now Babel actually means the tower slash gate of God okay and our definition of Babel confusion comes from what happened after this event the actual the original um definition of this was an a God honoring term now what's crazy to me is this is believed to be the beginning of Babylon and then we know that that's the founding source of all idolatry uh, when we start looking at Revelation and we start talking about Pergamos um, and um, I actually recorded that podcast just a couple of days ago we start talking about Pergamos we know that he talks about where where God's throne is and we know the Pergamos leads to Babylon and in in knowing such information it causes us to ask the question if this city is called the gate of God or the or the, or the tower of God and they're trying to build a gate to uh, build a tower to heaven what is the issue well we see this issue come along uh, because it's believed to be the, the beginning of Babylon, the source of, in the founding and the source of all idolatry. If we don't understand this, when we get to Revelation 17 and 18, you won't understand that. But we know that Babylon is referred to as the mother of harlots there, okay? It's the source of all false religious systems and Nimrod. So Nimrod, remember I told you we would come back and talk to Nimrod, talk about Nimrod. Nimrod was the, uh, the guy in charge here. He was the first tyrant of sorts in, um, he was the first totality government. Now, Nimrod means the rebel, okay? Uh, we see him mentioned in verse, um, we, we see him mentioned, mentioned uh, prior, but he's ruling here in, the, in Babel. Uh, well, we know that Nimrod had a wife called Semiramis, and her name was the queen of heaven, okay? So we, we already see a, 
a mix or a problem happening here. Now, if you are, are uh, tuned in, we know that Pergamos means mixed marriage. And so we see a marriage of the church to the world and we see an issue beginning to come here. Now, also, if you're, if you're a study of a study of scripture, you know that Satan is like the author of imitation and he tries to get his stuff as close to God so that people will follow him thinking that they're following God or they're following, um, something that's right and righteous. And, and that's not, that's not true. So what we see is, is first, first, and I'm going to try, I'm trying not to go on too many tangents without tying things together. But first we see that we have um, Nimrod in place. Now that parallels to revelation. How does that parallel to revelation, Reverend Kojo? Um, when, when we see the antichrist or, or Nikolai come to power, we know that he's the antichrist. And he's a totalitarian governor that's ruling the entire world. Okay. Now this, <laughs> this, we see Nimrod ruling over the entire world. Uh, or Yeah, all the people are in one place on one accord, which, you know, he's an imitator. Uh, but we see the people dwelling in one place on one accord, and he's got them focusing on something opposite or the antithesis of what would be God honoring. Okay. This tower at Babel was not built to reach heaven. It was in defiance of heaven. Okay. Whew. Now Nimrod and Semiramis had a son called Timnus, um, and they worshiped him as the sun God. Okay. Now here, here's where it gets funky and fuzzy at winter solstice. Uh, they say that he died. And when summer came back, they would call it, call him be born again. Now they would take a log. These are the people. They would take a log. They would burn it. The next day they took a tree and they trimmed it. That sounds kind of familiar, don't it? Um, and then one of the other things is they would take mistletoe and 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 as for uh, for, for fertility and they would use that as a worship mechanism, um, and they had yule log and 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 we see here some pagan roots for Christmas right mm, issues. So some of our, a lot of our traditions didn't come from the Christian church. They just started in Babylon and they moved to Pergamos. And that's why they say that's where Satan's throne is. And then they roughly celebrated on the 25th of December and Christ wasn't even born in the winter. Now, okay. What does that have to do with, um, the tower at Babel? These are the people who are ruling the, the tower of Babel who are inciting and, and encouraging these people to build this, uh, this tower, this was not done unto God. This was done against God. This was, this was done to make people believe that they were worshiping something greater than they, when really they were worshiping yet a man. Okay. And so one thing that if, if you have studied scripture, you know that God hates idolatry. We know that he has this huge issue with idolatry. He is not a fan of idolatry at all. We see, if we see issues, like we see issues with sin all the time, but if you see God really, really upset, usually it's got something to do with somebody worshiping something they ain't got no business worshiping. Okay. And then... And then we can draw the parallel again that we see God use fornication and idolatry paralleled all the time. We see him use the faithfulness to a woman and a man versus the faithfulness of God to a, a, a woman. We, we know that in, especially in, in um, Revelation, he uses this prostitution and the fornication um, as it parallels to the people and how they, they're, they're not worshiping. We know that he deals with in Thyatira. He deals with uh, these people with this Jezebel spirit and the Jezebel spirit. We, 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 we deduct and we have rescinded and we have under, come to understand that is not always people having sex with one another, but often it is them flirting with the sin of worshiping other gods, other things, other items that are not the what the way, the truth and the life that are not God. And we see adultery done the same way, the way of Hosea and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And what it all, all of it comes down to is the reason that God scatters the languages is because these people have gotten it wrong yet again. Now you remember just, just a, just a chapter or two ago, we remember that God destroyed sinful men, but he did not destroy sinful hearts. And, and so we see that even after he has flooded the earth, uh, the people, the motivation of men is still foul. It is still rancid. We still see issues and we still see Satan trying to infiltrate and corrupt the plan that God has made perfect already. 
Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of sad and it's kind of frustrating and people don't get it, but they don't get it because they don't know God. Okay. They haven't taken the time. Now you remember Noah had preached for 600 years. Uh, Methuselah had preached for 960 years. The time before Enoch was taken, he had preached and he had preached and he, it was his goal to get people to come to Christ. I want to come to God because Christ hadn't walked yet. And, and, and it didn't happen. And people, people, nobody wanted salvation to come get on the boat. Uh, salvation was a free gift that nobody took. And so we see these hearts that are corrupted and they're wrong and they're messed up and they're pointed in the wrong direction. And that is why he scatters the language. But he scatters the language not because they were on one accord. Being on one accord is a beautiful thing. And I believe that in our churches and in our community, if we would get on one accord, we would see things change. He said there's nothing that would be withheld from them. But the issue that came about is that they were on one accord about the wrong things. Now, let's parallel that to our day-to-day life. We get on one accord about the wrong things. You think about it. Um, I, you know, I'm a college student. When, when people get on one accord about getting drunk, they go and they're on the one accord about the wrong things. And so they cause destruction to happen. And you get a, you get a car full of people who are going to go get drunk. Who's going to drive home? They're on the one accord about the wrong thing. When you get on one accord, I can remember, um, my sophomore year, uh, there was a lot of folks angry with me. They got on one accord about being angry with me and they lost other friendships because they were on one accord about being malicious. And so they lost other relationships. They lost the respect of a lot of other people because of the way that they behaved themselves and the direction that they went with themselves. And it was, they went completely left. Why? Because they were on one accord, but they were on one accord with the wrong thing. The people here at the table of Babel, they were on one accord and there is something that can happen in unity. But when you happen in unity, you're going to you're going you're gonna to contend with some things, but you if you're on one accord about the wrong thing, bad things happen. Hitler got a whole bunch of people on one accord about hating the Jews, and they killed six million Jewish people. But it also caused them to have a, a cloud of shame hanging over their heads for a long time, okay? And, and what we find is that when you get on one accord, there's nothing that will be withheld from you, but when you get on one accord about the wrong thing, the uh, consequences tend to be graver than when the consequences are single or alone or aside or not with you. Um, how can I phrase this? When your when your consequences are not just you acting up, but you've got now gotten an army of people acting up. Jim Jones got a whole bunch of people on one accord, but on a, on a corrupt gospel. And so because the gospel was corrupt, we see all of these people die by way of the Kool-Aid because they were on one accord about the wrong things. So church get on one accord, but get on one accord behind things that are sound, get on one accord behind things that are right, that are good, that are just, you know, the Bible says, think on when it says, he says, think on the things that are good, that are just, that are right. And if we can think on those things, if we can get on one accord on those things, there is nothing that will be withheld from us. It is only when we get wrong and we get behind things that are antichrist, that are not of Christ that are off. Okay. Now we see that one of the mystery of Babylon, as we talk about it in Pergamos and Thyatira, and we talk about it in revelation 17 and 18, and we talk about it here. Uh, we talk about Babel and all of these things. Um, Protestant and I'm Protestant, but Protestant scholars have long, pointed out the issues that are of Catholicism. And I will not lie, it does line up to Catholicism a lot, but it's not just Catholicism. It's before Catholicism. Nimrod, here Nimrod is the source, okay? Now, Nimrod is mentioned as the mighty one four times in scripture. We, we can draw a parallel to the Antichrist, and he's also subject to Noah's curse on Ham. That's the line that he comes from. Now, and we see issue. Now, this is the argument. If you if you want to make an argument against a one world gov- government, this is where you make your argument. We see these these cats make mistakes and they are headed in the complete wrong direction. And as they're headed in the wrong direction, 
uh, we see that God comes and he has to intervene and take some of that power from them. You know, it would be great. A one world government would be great if man was perfect. But because a man is so flawed and man has so much issue, it is not, it's not, it's not wise. Now we know that a one world government is coming. Why do we know it's coming? Because it's talked about in revelation. I just don't want to be here for it. Um, What's interesting to me is back in the 90s, one of the people, uh, one of the, the scholars that I follow really closely said that it was believed that in the next 30 years, uh, we would be under one world government. I'm grateful that it's 30 years later and, and we're still we're still a sovereign country, but there are still things pointing uh, that do not look positive and do not look well. Um, but a one world government doesn't work unless the one that's governing is God. And in the millennium, that's what's going to happen. But until that time, um, I don't. That's not healthy, and it's not well. And we see that happen here at the table of uh, the uh, the Tower of Babel, and we have uh, seen over and over again as as uh, totalitarian governments have tried to come to power via Hitler or Mussolini or um, in Cuba um, or anything. It, it's never been positive, and thank God it's never succeeded. But the people who want to be your totalitarian governors typically have foul intentions, much like Nimrod um, and much like those of, of old and of past, and that's not healthy. Now, let's take a, a, a trip over to the book of Job, and, and we're going to pull something that's really interesting. Um, and, it's, and it's also how we've talked about um, Nimrod perverting the truth and how he was getting it really, really close to what would be pleasing to God, but it's far enough to get people off course. We see another thing that is actually a heresy that lives today and what's, a, what's exploring as is actually really common. And a lot of Christians, um, people that call themselves Christians actually subscribe to such and they subscribe to such out of ignorance of the truth. Um, and so I want to try to pull some truth out of this and I, and I hope that God will give me the grace to be able to do this properly and appropriately. Um, but let's let's see what we can find. Job 38, uh, verse 31, we see, he says, Can you cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its clubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heaven? And can you see the, set their dominion over the earth? Now, the Maseroth is the equivalent to what pagans know as the Zodiac. I'm sure you know what your sign is. It's kind of hard in this society not to know what your sign is. And, and if you're not careful, you actually would believe that there's some truth to it because it has some relevance. But remember when I said that Nimrod is, is like the Antichrist. And when he was like the Antichrist, what Satan did is he got him as close to what looked right, but far enough close, but, but off on the side of wrong so that people will follow him. And the Antichrist does the same thing. He be, the, the Bible says he'll be a likable character. He'll be easy to follow. Uh, Zodiac, the, the way that he contorts the Zodiac is the same way. Now, I want to make sure that we make this really, really clear. There's a difference between astronomy and astro astrology. Okay, uh, astronomy is a legitimate study of the stars, their size, um, and, and all of the stuff. Now, astrolo astrology is an occultic practice attempting to forecast the future. We know that the stars are based on, uh, we, we know that now the names of the stars we know are based on uh, astro uh, astrological tradition. And the zodiac is the apparent path of the sun through the universe. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting the Maseroth, based on, on Jewish tradition, is how we can interpret the stars and read the gospel through the stars. But Satan created this idea of the Zodiac to, as a counterpart. And in his counterpart, he made it as close as possible. What do you mean? Are you telling the truth, Reverend Kojo? What are you talking about? Well, he, Genesis 1, 4. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven and to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, Isaiah 40, 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out the host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is mentioned. Let's go to Psalm 19, one through four. And the heavens declare that the glory of the Lord and the firmament shows his handiwork. Uh, day unto day unto day utters his speech and night unto night 
reveals his knowledge. And there is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. Their land has gone, has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set the tabernacle for the sun. And then, you know, we hear all this bad stuff about Balaam and how he, he, he made a mistake. But Balaam actually made some solid prophecy. He makes solid prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and a battle the brow of Moab and destroy all of the tumult. Now that particular one believe this believed that that is a um a prophecy unto the star of, of, of David. And I'll let you do your own research for that. But you can go through the stars. If we go through the stars in Hebrew, they speak the gospel of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Belief is that the story is chronicled through the stars. Also believe that when Abraham operated according to the stars, when preparing um, to the sacrifice, and that's how he knew that he was operating according to to um, to, to to prophecy. But at Babel and Babylon, we see a perversion of the order that God created, which is widely accepted today, y'all. And and that's 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 what's scary is that the heresy of the zodiac is in line with what God has ordained and what he, the, the, the heresy is not in line with what God has ordained, but God ordained a system that most of us don't even subscribe to. Now, if you're more interested in this, you can go to a bookstore and there are plenty of books, Christian bookstore. There are plenty of books about the stars. And during the summertime, it would be, I would imagine pretty fun to go and, and read the book and see if you can track the gospel through the stars. But what's crazy to me, is that Satan knew this. You know, remember Satan was, he, he rolled with God in heaven until he got put out because he was foolish. Um, but what was interesting, was crazy to me, is that he takes, they take this system that was created by God to chronicle the truth, and he, he they go and they use this system, they contort it and pervert it and convince people that they can hear their future and understand their prophecy uh, through these things, which is not of Christ at all. And, and people, people subscribe to it, you know, and, 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 and here's the problem until recently I thought it was kind of true. You know, you got, you got talking about, well, people talk to you. Well, what, what's your sign? I'm like, I'm a Taurus. That's not of Christ y'all. It's not. And, and I hate to say that. And I said, I mentioned that to somebody and I said, you know, I don't really believe in the Zodiac. And a Christian friend of me looked at me like I was crazy. This is how close the heresy has become to us. And there are a lot of other heresies, like I talked about, the trimming of the tree at Christmas or the the uh, the mistletoe. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I still intend on putting up a Christmas tree and help my mom put up a Christmas tree today after Thanksgiving. But to know that the source of it was not from Christian tradition, but it came from pagan tradition, it, it makes you a little more weary of the things that we do because, unfortunately, the church married the world. Um, now... What's interesting is as we look at these things, it's imperative, y'all, that we search our history and we search this word down to have honest understanding because we will be following something and believing we're following something that's real, that's right, and that's acceptable. And when we commit ourselves to doing that, we get off and we miss the boat and we miss God's plan and we miss everything that he's designed and planned for us because we're following something that was close to what God ordained, but it wasn't ordained by God. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time. I had some kids mentioned to me in, 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 in youth church and they, they, well, they were missing to me, but they were talking and they were talking about sex and they said, yeah, the Bible says you, you can't have sex, but that, you don't have to follow that anymore. God is not going to hate you if you go have sex and you know, it's not a problem. No, God is not going to hate you, but God hates sin. And there are implications that come through sex that if you're not married and you're not mentally prepared, you're tying yourself to some things spiritually that you had no idea of it. But the heresy that has been out there is teaching us in our society and widely received that it's okay. Just like at the Tower of Babel, the heresy was we're going to build a tower to heaven, not realizing that the intentions were to defy heaven. We blindly follow things 
And as we blindly follow things, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And that's not what God has designed or desired of us. He, he wants us to walk with him and walk according to his plan. But the longer that we plan to do our own thing and the longer that we plan to walk in contrary, um, contrary to what he said, we are getting preparing ourselves to fall. Okay. Yeah. I, and, 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 and like I said, just a couple of minutes ago, I'm guilty. I've read, I've, I've read this about the Zodiac. I'm familiar with what a Taurus is and I'm familiar with what the Taurus is to other signs and, and, and would this relationship work? And it's not of God. It's not of God. And it's, I mean, but our culture has trained us that it's normal. And it's a lot of things that our culture has trained us is normal that will skid us and prepare us to fall. Um, one thing, and, and that's, that's another thing about like revelation. I got so upset with one of the, the local churches that has like a million locations. I got so upset with them cause they did, they, they did a study on the end time, but they didn't crack revelation. And so I got people calling me, asking me to do these Bible studies, um, because they're trying to understand the end time. They know the end time is in revelation, but they just, everybody just tell them it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And as a Christian, yeah, it is going to be okay. But if you got to make sure that you're really saved and you're really following the, the truth, because if you're wrong, they, they, the, the letters of the seven churches say that he'll take the, he'll take your lampstand away that you may have to go through some things. If you don't have this thing right. And if you're not following right and your faith isn't right, if you're, if you're married to the world and not to the church and not married to God, there are some things and some implications that you'll have to do. But if you never know, and you've never searched the scriptures down and you've not sitting under sound doctrine and people are not teaching you the whole word and nothing but the word that you will miss the place that God is trying to take you. Look, the Bible is a wonderful love story. It is a wonderful love story between God and his church, his bride. But if that is all that you see, there is so much more that is here and it is required of us. And we get so close to being right, but we're still on the side of wrong. You know, and that's one of the things I asked my mom all the time. I said, are you ever afraid that you're going, you're on the wrong side of history? You know, especially on some of these issues, you know, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. I want to be on the right side of history. But I've got to search the word down and apply it to my day-to-day life. And it's one thing for me to have a strong, exhaustive concordance. And I'm sitting here looking at mine now. It's huge. I'm sitting here with, with uh, parallel Bibles at both of my homes. Uh, I'm sitting here. I got, I got books and books on, on scripture. I got websites and galore, apps and everything that can teach me. I'm, I'm sitting here doing word studies, trying to find a new interlinear Bible, trying to understand what the Greek and the Hebrew and how does it apply to the English? Was it translated correctly in this version or was it translated correctly in this version? Because they say two different things. And so I'm trying to understand, is this sin or this not sin. Um, but if we can, if we only get the understanding, but we never make the understanding applicable, or if we know the truth about God, but we don't, we decide not to, not to harness it or not to apply it to our lives and not to tell the truth about it. What good does it do us? And that's kind of what we see here at the tablet of Bible. You know, that's what we see here in the tablet of Bible. And, and it's scary. Oh, it's scary. It's scary. Okay. As we get ready to wrap up again, you remember I mentioned there were 70 families we mentioned in chapter 10. And then we talk about those languages getting scattered. And as we talk about those languages getting scattered, you know, he, he, he scattered the languages because he saw that they were going to, they were doing something, they didn't have any, any business doing. And as we see that he saw those things, we can go to Genesis 46, 27. And the sons of Joseph were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob went to Egypt were 70. So we see that thing come back full circle. And back at Genesis 32, 7 through 8, remember the days of old. Consider the years of the many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. And when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people. And so again, we see, we see it all come back together and we got separated, I think for a plethora of reasons, you know, our focus was wrong. You know, I think that's something we need to take in our own, on our own lives. When our focus is wrong, God will reroute you. When you are looking at the wrong thing, he'll start taking things away. You know, they had unity. He had to take that away because they were focused on the wrong thing. 
um, in our own lives. I know for me, when my focus leaves ministry, he starts stripping me down. <laughs> and I get so upset. I'll be like, God, I still go to church. I'm still reading the word. But you're not focused like you're supposed to be. For other people, he starts taking other things away. When our focus gets awry, especially when he has a call and a purpose for you to fulfill, and you decide you're going to do the contrary, mm-mm. Let me, I can show you better than I can tell you. And he starts taking things away. Um, and he separated the sons of Adam, and he set the boundaries for people. And you remember, we talked about why hate. And when hate was introduced, there was not a whole lot of difference between us. But now we see all of these different differences, and we see these 70 people groups, and we see these different nations come about, and we see separation happening, and we have come to understand less and less about one another. And I think it's a great opportunity as we understand why we were separated, because we were focused on the wrong things. We see why the nations drifted, and we see where they came from, For us to go and look at our neighbor, look at our brother or our sister, look at this person who don't look like us, that doesn't come from where we come from, and let's take a moment to realize how similar we really are. We all came from the same place. The same seed at the very beginning of it, we we all came from that place. And the more that we will be willing to understand, the more that we will be willing to have a conversation Uh, maybe we can gain some of our unity back. Maybe we can focus on the right things. You know, I sit here and I watch some of these churches explode. One church I've been watching since I was about in the eighth grade, and they went about from being um, what I call as a uh, relatively large church, about 1,000 members, 2,000 members, which to me is accessible, to having about 10,000 members or maybe more than that now. And, And I watch them keep the integrity of who they were, but they remain united as a church. That's not to say they didn't have issues. That's not to say they didn't have problems. That's not to say that they didn't have to fight board members on the board, good God Almighty. But they remain united, and they kept their focus on Christ and ministry, and they're accomplishing the world. And granted, we look at other groups who can't seem to, they can't even get through a Sunday service without being disjointed. And you don't see much. I believe unity is the answer, but we got to get behind the right thing and be unified for the right purpose. And I think if we can do that, we'll find some positivity. You know, I, I don't think God dishonors unity at all. I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't see. I don't see. I don't see that in the scripture at all. I see an issue with the zodiac, and I see why that unity is wrong. I see an issue. Um, with 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 con- conversions and perversions and issues and you know one world governments and and issues I'm just written all over this thing. But what I do see as well is that God will honor unity when we are focused on Him. Period. I'm so glad you decided to join the podcast today. I hope that you received some something. I know I went on a lot of tangents today, but I hope that I tied the word back into you and I hope that you've come to understand where we're going. Find some unity, um, but we focus on the right things. Don't be focused on your vain issues and your own um, desire to, to improve or to succeed. Focus on what God has for you. And if you'll do that, I guarantee that he will bless you in ways that you could have never imagined. Until next time, this has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo.